Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So just moving into a posture for practice. and allowing your intention for practice to arise. Why am I here turning inward? And contemplating for a few moments the four thoughts that turn the mind towards Dharma to create a spiritual urgency for the practice. First, reflecting on this precious human life and in particular how rare and precious it is to have met the Dharma, to have motivation for practice, to have suitable causes and conditions so that practice can happen. being filled up by gratitude for this.
And next, reflecting on impermanence. That although this precious opportunity has arisen, all of these causes and conditions have appeared. We do not know how much longer it will last. Any one of those factors could vanish at any moment. allowing the mind to be brightened by this reflection. I'm so fortunate for even a single moment of mindfulness. Then next, reflecting on karma or action. With this precious opportunity, reflecting on what you want to do contemplating a wholesome and unwholesome being awake or falling asleep, acting out of service and compassion, as opposed to selfishness. Contemplating for a few moments on what brings long-term happiness to the heart and mind.
And finally, a reflection on dukkha, the defects of samsara, primarily focusing back on impermanence. That everything outside of ourselves is shifting and changing. Therefore, it is unreliable. We cannot depend on it for sustainable happiness. So we have to find it inside. have to connect back to Buddha nature, true essence of mind. And then simply reflecting on this reality for a few moments. And next, just connecting with awareness itself. I'm here, alive and breathing.
And then visualize yourself moving that awareness up outside of the physical form so that your awareness is hovering over the body. Still within the space you sit, but looking down at the body. And then taking that awareness higher, moving beyond the structure that you're sitting in. Looking down at your home, whatever building that you might be in. Just hovering in the sky. And slowly your awareness continues to rise. Floating higher and higher. Seeing your neighborhood growing smaller and smaller. getting higher and higher in the sky. And getting to the point of about 30,000 feet. As if you're in a plane looking down. And still connecting to the body way down there the body, its thoughts, concerns and worries, now seeming so much smaller. Just noticing the different perspective from this view and all the people and all their lives happening beneath you. As your awareness continues to rise once again. Now above the Earth's orbit, seen the planet, Earth, just as a ball as you are in space. It's very, very still and very quiet. And you continue to 
move into space as the earth becomes smaller and smaller. And you find yourself as a sphere of light among other spheres of light. a star amongst stars. And you simply rest here. In the silent stillness.
And while holding on to stillness, silence, you notice the awareness begin to descend. Slowly, the earth moves back into focus. It's becoming larger and larger. And you move back to that 30,000 foot view. But now maybe feeling a little different, maybe a bit more still, more quiet. Holding on to that as you move closer and closer to the physical form beneath you. Tuning into the structure where the body sits. Moving closer and closer as you descend. Passing through the roof. And inhabiting the physical form once again. Fully integrating with the physical form as you feel the body sitting where it sits. Feeling the weight of the body and connecting to the senses. And also connecting with the stillness. Whatever you brought back from the stars. Just sitting here for a few more moment, moments as stillness, inhabiting a body.
Welcome everybody. So good to see you. Yeah, feel free to unmute yourselves if you like and just say hi to each other this morning. Morning, everyone. Morning, Morning. everyone. Morning. Good morning. 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 Happy birthday, Kathy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Happy birthday. Yeah, so, yeah, I was thinking for today, it, it might be fun to go through some of the teachings of Ergen Rinpoche. Uh, Ergen Rinpoche, many of you may be familiar with him and his teachings. Uh, if you're not familiar with his teachings, you might be familiar with Sokni Rinpoche and Minka Rinpoche. And Ergen is their father. So Ergen Rinpoche had four sons actually, and um, they're all four, like they're really amazing teachers in their own right. And Ergen Rinpoche himself, he was born in 1920, I believe. And I think he passed away in 96, I wanna say. And he's really known for just simplicity. So he was from the Nyingma school so he taught mostly Dzogchen, so a lot of non-dual type of teachings. But he did it in a way that was extremely, yeah, extremely simple, extremely relatable. So his teachings I always found very clarifying. Um, yeah, he was said that, you know, they, they thought that if they calculated up all the years, he did about 20 years of silent retreat in his time. Um, so he was an amazing, you know, he was very, very dedicated his whole life to, to the, the practice. So, yeah, I thought it'd be fun to go through some of his teachings and, and just kind of clarifying the natural state, you know, Shantideva, you know, said that, you know, if, yeah, I forget the exact quote, but something if we miss the key point, you know, if we miss the key point, then it doesn't matter what we're doing. Like if we, if we miss the key point of recognizing pure awareness, uh, Buddha nature, then it doesn't really matter, right? Like what we're doing. So um, I'm gonna spend some time today, just if we can kind of go over some of the teachings and then maybe talk about it and really clarify the, the natural state, you know, it's kind of just like running water through a filtration system over and over and over again until we get that essence, right? So I just kind of earmarked a few pages and let's just see where um, we kind of go. There's a couple books that are his most you know, famous books and they're both collections of talks, but it's As It Is, Volume 1 and Volume 2. As It Is, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And both of them are like droplets from the Dharmakaya. Like, it's anywhere you open it. I've had a really hard time today because I was like, what, what are we going to go over? And everywhere you open it, there it's absolutely amazing. So you cannot find... Um, there's no fluff in his teachings. It's all very direct, you know, which I love. 
very, very pithy stuff. Um, okay, so we'll start here. Um, this chapter is called Inheritance. We think, we remember, we plan. And the attention thus exerted moves towards an object and sticks to it. So we think, remember, we plan. And the attention thus exerted moves towards an object and sticks to it. This mental movement is called thinking or conceptual mind. We have many different expressions in Tibetan to describe this functioning of this basic attitude of mind, of this extroverted consciousness unaware of its own nature. This ignorant mind grabs hold of objects, forms, uh, grabs hold of objects, forms concepts about them, and gets involved and caught up in the concept, concepts that it has created. This is the nature of samsara. And it, it has been continuing through beginningless lifetimes up to this present moment. Now, very, very simple, but it's, it's, it's just describing how we get caught up, just grabbing onto thoughts, creating you know, concepts around them, and then getting involved, like emotionally involved in the concepts we built around um, the, the, this nothing, <laughs> this nothingness, right? All these involvements are merely fabricated creations. They are not the natural state. They are based on the concepts of subject and object, perceiver and perceived. This dualistic structure together with the disturbing emotions and the karma that is produced through them are the forces that drive us from one samsaric, samsaric experience to another. Yet all the while, there is still the basic nature, which is not made out of anything whatsoever. It is totally unconstructed and empty. And at the same time, it is aware. It has the quality of being able to cognize this indivisible unity of being empty and cognizant is our original ground that is never lost. So I wanna break down these two aspects because these two aspects of the, of the characteristics of true nature of mind are probably the most fundamental of, of those aspects. I mean, we have compassion in there and, and service and things like this, but empty, and cognizant, and cognizant, the ability to know. So, um, if we look at at awareness, you know, maybe we could just, um, you know, kind of just reflecting and look, look, looking into the into awareness itself, and to notice that without doing anything at all, it has the ability to know, right? So as a classic example of don't listen, don't listen, stop listening, stop listening. So you notice, I bet you did not stop listening. <laughs> you didn't stop listening because 
it's naturally arising. The ability to know it's naturally arising. We cannot not know, like we cannot not be awake. Right, so it's it's naturally there. The the kind of embodying embodying this this ability to know relieves a lot of the grasping mind. See, because the grasping mind wants to know, and it wants to know things, right? And it's um, but actually, what we're getting in contact with is that which knows, not what it knows like that which knows and that which knows like the the knower of things the ability to know like the, the very essence just the ability to know this is way more important than what is fleeting because that cognizant awake true nature of mind is always there always present and so we're gravitating towards a quality so just like we usually gravitate towards stimulus Right? We're, we're becoming attuned and mindful of a different quality to attach our awareness to instead of what we habitually gravitate towards, right? the seductive kind of peak experiences, highly charged emotions, highly charged thoughts. Right? By reflecting on this, we know where to tune our attention into that which knows that which naturally knows, not the object of what is appearing in, you know, sound, that which knows sound, right? So just by reflecting on this, we could tune into that, like, oh, what is the awake nature of mind in this moment? And then going back to what he originally, originally was talking about was just how we lose this, Right, that first paragraph of how, how do we lose it? You know, oh, okay, we, we think, we remember, we plan. The attention thus exerted moves towards an object and sticks to it. Again, stuff we already know. We know exactly what grasping mind is, right? And hearing this, I think from like teachers of this caliber over and over again, just confirms that we're on the right track. You know, we hear this over and over again, like that's thinking mind, that's conceptualization, and this is not, you know, being in tune with just the knower, not what's known over and over and over again, right? This unity of being empty and cognizant is our original ground that is never lost. And that's another, it's another piece, like you cannot lose it. Right. So it's another thing to reflect upon. So we notice we want to bring our attention to what cannot be lost. What cannot be lost? You know, can your memory be lost? Yeah, your memory can be lost. Right. Um, can your thoughts and, and beliefs be, you know, be lost? Um, can your labels be lost? You know, what we think of ourselves, our careers and what we do, our activities that sometimes sometimes we put in as ourselves, can those be lost? Yes. Can your awareness, can it be, now we can move away from it, I know, but can it be lost? When we ever check back in, you know, it cannot be lost, right? So what we impute onto something 
can be lost because it could be shifted and it could shift and change. Let's say how we view somebody else, right? But the, the knower of the view cannot be lost, right? The knower of the view, like how we view something can shift and change, that could be lost. But the knower of the view cannot be lost, right? So what cannot be lost? Any, any comments on that one? I think it's, it's fine to um, actually open it up before we usually do. Any comments on, on that or clarifications? Because this is just really the essence stuff. So how do we, un how do we unpack empty and, and, and cognizant? So like empty is, we could say is like the original ground that's never lost and cognizant is being always there and always present. Is, is that the idea? Yeah. So, so the empty part is when you're looking at, you know, true, true nature of mind, there's nothing to, to be found, right? There's no, there's no thing in it, right? So remember that the mind, you know, cannot be apprehended by the senses, but it can be known. So, so that which is apprehended by the senses um, is subject to change. The, the mind itself completely empty. So is that what you mean by unpacking it? Like, yeah, yeah, the two parts. Yeah, yeah, the two parts are just two qualities or two kind of characteristics or qualities to notice. And there's many more, right? but we can notice these two are extremely fundamental is that it's empty from its own side. In other words, from its own side as, a, as, as arising, it's empty. Like and, until we add something onto it and same thing with objects from their own side, they're empty. Until we put a label on something, there's no thing in the thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So until until we label it one way or the other. Yeah, Anthony. What would he say about sleep? So for example, there's dreaming sleep where you're not aware of objects in the room, but you're aware, aware of your thoughts and that becomes mm -hmm. your reality. Mm -hmm. And then there's dreamless sleep where you're not aware of anything. Um, how would he re respond to that? Or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he actually has a chapter in, in this book called the Iron Rod Technique. And he talks about like, you know, people getting confused with complete thoughtlessness, you know, um, and, and, and meditation. And he calls it the Iron Rod Technique because he's like, if you want true thoughtlessness, you know, just hit, your, hit yourself over the head with an iron rod over and over again. And you're basically go to sleep every time there's a thought just hit yourself over the head and you go to sleep and you know the the the, the total sleepliness is just complete dullness right like we're not we're not awake so the wakefulness part is absolutely um what we're trying to get to the actual being being awake the the lucidity part 
you know, I, I think that it's basically the same, like if we're lucid in, in the dream, in the dreaming, but we're lucid. So we're aware. Um, I would assume that he, you know, he would call that clarity. If you're, if you're aware again, not just like you remember your dream, but you, you know, that you're dreaming, <laughs> just like when we know that we're dreaming here. Right. Um, does, does that answer the question? Like deep sleep would be dullness in, in his view. Yeah. Oh, I think you're muted. So it's like he would be saying that the cognizant, uh, part or almost like hearing ability is still there, but you're not cognizant of it. Right. Just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And just like here, you know, just like in our, in our waking state, it's here, but we can't see it because we're, we're, we're lost in thought or the mind is really dull and tired or something. Right. Uh, the one that what I like to remember just in general, it's kind of an offshoot of, of that question, but awareness needs to be aware of something because I, we get this a lot. You know, I hear this a lot when I ask people, what are they doing in meditation? And they talk about some yummy state, which is not really asleep, but not really awake. I'm like, are you, awareness to, needs to be aware of something all the time to call it, you know, quote unquote meditation even if it's awareness itself, you need to be awake to something. If you're, if you're in this dreamy kind of a la-la land where you're not asleep and not awake, um, you, you don't know that you know. And then therefore, you, we're not connected with that which knows. <laughs> yeah. The vital point is this, it is impossible to fixate while seeing the essence. At the same time, there is a knower of whatever takes place. Whatever is seen is empty sights. Whatever is heard is empty sounds. At the moment, there's no fixating. While not seeing the essence, the empty quality is missing, isn't it? In the moment of seeing the empty essence, there's no attachment, no clinging, and no fixation. Yet there is knowing. The five senses are wide open. Everything is vividly clear. Here's a profound statement. Utterly awake, with the five senses wide open. Utterly open, with unfixating awareness. So... You know, here he's talking about blending how, how we see things. Um, otherwise, we're done. Yeah, he logged into my account, so I, I looked up and I saw myself. Too funny. Um, holding on to this view, holding on to this view while we're seeing objects in the world. So he's like, how do we hold on to this view of, you know, pure awareness and wakefulness and holding on to that view and and also 
look at things because it's not not de uh, not detachment. I should say experience things, right? So we're not detached, and yet we see the empty empty flavor of them. So we're saying like we we see things, but we're actually seeing the emptiness of things when we see things. We hear things, but we're also tapping into the empty aspects of what we hear. We taste things, but then we also connect to the empty aspect of things. So the great uh, quote from the Heart Sutra, form is emptiness and emptiness is form, right? So if we can see these two simultaneously existing, then there's, not, there's no attachment. As soon as we get confused with seeing the object as our imputation and what we actually label it as, then there's attachment. So he's saying this is the this is a vital point is to see simultaneously that there is a chair existing, and also know that there's no chair in the chair, and the chair is not universally seen as a chair by all beings. Right, an insect doesn't say look at the chair, a one-year-old doesn't say look at the chair, um, uh, a bird doesn't say look at the chair, and there's no part of the chair that is the chair. And, and I think even, even without this kind of, you know, how we talk about emptiness, kind of like through the intellect, if we look, if the chair is not a chair, it just is. If you just look with awareness, it's just, it is, it's, it, it's there, but it's not existing as anything in particular, right? It just, it's existing. And we could all agree that yeah, it's existing, right? So how do we maintain, you know, this, this clarity as we move through, you know, the world, like look at, looking at it with, with clarity? Um, this is all we're doing. We're just maintaining that clarity. How do we maintain that clarity without falling for it, right? This is the vital point. This is huge. We could talk about this forever, right? <laughs> you know, this for months on end. But any questions from, from that? And sometimes with these questions, we don't even know where to start sometimes, right? How do we maintain open clarity and make contact with the senses? Any questions or comments on that? Yeah, Anthony. Yeah, it's like then, with your chair analogy, you could pour some lighter fluid on it, set it on fire, and, and uh, it's now changed its form. So it's, it's empty, it's impermanent. Yeah. And, and we could just take for a simple example, just take a few people in the room, and they look at a chair, and somebody says, I, I like that chair, it's a good looking chair. It's not a good looking chair. It looks comfortable. It doesn't look comfortable. It's a, it's a nice looking color. I don't really like that color. So is it, which one is it? Which one is it? Is it a comfortable? Is it not comfortable? Is it, is it a pleasant color or is it not a pleasant color, right? Is it small or is it large depending on your view of that, right? So which one is it? And so we know a hundred years from now. Exactly. And when we speak of, yeah, exactly. When we speak of emptiness, one, a couple things to, to remember is that we're talking about 
like permanent and fixed. It's existing, but it's not existing as a in a permanent fixed way, which is usually how we look at things, right? Yeah. Um, Lisa and then Diana. So I I understand that, but when I when I uh, bring it back to me or to like human nature, when I look at it from human nature, then it's about unlearning all the things that we learn. Is it a statement? Yeah, I mean, I'm asking so because because it's almost, I mean, from, I mean, I'm I have 19 year old grandkids and you mm -hmm. know that's all we're doing right now he's pointing to things and he wants to know what they are mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from a very young age that's you know that we're we're learning things and and our mind automatically goes to thoughts about things mm -hmm. right so the idea is to know that your mind is going to do that but to recognize that's what it is or is it more we're supposed to be or not supposed to be but we're working on training our mind not to do that yeah, it was like re recognizing both. Okay. It's an integration. Yeah, I remember Byron Katie talking about that, you know, when she had her grandchildren and she was like, they were pointing and she's like, they're like, the sky is blue. And she's like, sure, I'll tell them, I'll say the sky is blue. Although ultimate truth wise, you know, these things are not as they are, but it's not throwing them out you know, relative reality and ultimate reality are coexisting. It's more about, it's not about the object and it's not really about unlearning. It's about the view of what, of how we're seeing because we don't want to put it in this like learning or unlearning framework. This is not a conceptual thing. It's pointing to an actual place that we see from that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, we don't want to put this in a mental, we're not figuring anything out on how to see. It's, we're just pointing to where to abide. So we see clearly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And Diana. I was wondering if this would apply um, in using the, a word and, and um, staying with experience. And the phrase would be noticing what isn't. So it's both. Yeah. It seems to, um, I'm suspecting uh, that allows to hold uh, or to be in uh, the experience of uh, opposing or hitting the balance, maybe not getting lost mm -hmm. in either one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I'm working with or been working with. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And it goes, it, it just goes back to, that that awareness that allows us to do that it allows us not to get get caught in that either or right uh, we have we actually have the choice to be able to recognize all of it 
Yeah. Okay, let's see. Let's see another one that we have. This one's on uh, shamatha and vipassana um, section. And this is just something we know, but he just clear, clearly says it. Uh, the general vehicles hold that the method of shamatha, if you're not familiar with that term, it's like a stable mind. Sometimes it's translated as concentration or like the stability of mind, uh, the ability to hold the mind stable or fixed in a certain location. The general vehicles hold that the method of shamatha is necessary to, in order to abide peacefully, to counteract our tendency to constantly fabricate. The Buddhist taught us how to rely on a support. Support can be like the breath or something, an anchor. By getting accustomed to this support, our attention becomes stabilized, able to remain steady. At this point, it is much easier to have pointed out the attention's nature is simply cognizant. So he's saying that you know, the basic level of concentration practice, like the basic practice, allows us to see our true nature of mind. He's like, you know, our from the very beginning, when we start practicing meditation and we're trying to get the mind stable, the, the ability to have the mind find some store, sort of stability, then we're much able to see that the mind is, is, is empty and cognizant. You know, it's, it's so it's, um, yeah, it's a fundamental attribute to, to, for that ability to be seen, right? But please remember that merely abiding, merely resting in the stability of shamatha practice does not guarantee the recognition of the naked state of self-existing wakefulness. So he's saying that this is what Buddha realized being you know, Hindu is that they only focused on shamatha. They didn't focus on vipassana. So they would have these external objects and they would focus uh, on them until they reached samadhi, which is single focused, um, you know, singularity of, of focus and they would remain there. But uh, when they release the meditation, some sorrow would rush back in and they would be in dualistic mind, right? Um, and they would not be free from suffering. So even though they would have a really good meditation and, and reach tranquility for a long extended part, uh, or extended amount of time, they would not be free from suffering, which was Buddha's original intent, which is how can I meet old age, sickness and death with equanimity? That was his intent. So he's like, I have to find a way to reach a part of me that's like, very intrinsic to uh, basic okayness, you know, this Buddha nature that, that he eventually found. And so why is this important? This is important because how we look and where we look, it's really important. So when we mind the mind and we look into essence, so we're not just stable, but where, where are we looking eventually? Well, we look at the four foundations of mindfulness and we look at thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. And then, then the fourth foundation, it opens up to all phenomena. Thoughts, emotions, and body sensations, 
this is where all the suffering comes from, right? So we really want to look into the nature and understand the nature of thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. And then, of course, beyond that, if we recognize the knower of those, if we recognize that the knower of those, of thoughts, emotions, and body sensations, if the knower is empty, we're done, <laughs> right? This is the root, you know? If, if we can understand that we, if we cannot find the a permanent fixed I that fear is protecting, we're done, right? If we cannot find a permanent fixed I that is in need of um, approval, you know, we're done. You see, so if, if, we, if we can't find who is angry, we're done. If we can't find the meditator, we're done. So where we're looking, where are we shining the light of stability is extremely important. So we have a stable mind, extremely important, fantastic. You know, work on the stability of mind. The formal practice is wonderful for this. And then shine the, the light back in on itself. You know, mind the mind. And so all of these attributes of, of stillness and, you know, co being cognizant and empty, it's pointing toward where are we shining the light of, this, of, of a stable mind. We want the vipassana, the insight into true nature, not just the stability part. Right? Any thoughts or comments on, on that piece, the shamatha and vipassana piece? Yeah, Anthony. Yeah, I, I uh, this year started... Uh not just doing concentration techniques, I started using choiceless awareness where I'd start with my breath and then become aware of any object that would arise and pass away. And in the boundary of the object arising or in the object disappearing, it's much easier to experience emptiness than uh, at any other time. It, it's, it's like when that sound comes and then the sound goes, then you're aware of the hearing capacity. It's harder to be aware of it, uh, except in those boundaries of arising and passing away. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. I also love like in with choiceless awareness, or in the Tibetans would call like objectless shamatha, like ob you know shamatha without object. You know what's what's really interesting is, you know that which is aware of each piece. You know so that which is aware of body is the same awareness that's aware of sound, which is the same awareness which is aware of taste, the same awareness that's aware of touch. Like, so when you're, when you're kind of sitting in that, and again, we're purifying the natural state, we're honing in on it, we can do so by noticing what stays the same and what changes. Everything that changes is you know, fabricated, that which remains the same 
is essence, right? It's essence awareness. So, and again, that which stays the same takes nothing to produce. It's completely unfabricated, right? So the less that we do, the more that the mind is able to let go, the more vivid awareness becomes, right? The, the, the more we cannot do and actually relax, the more, the more apparent true nature of mind becomes. It's like it comes to the forefront, the less we do. And, and this is, actually goes for stabilization, stabilization of mind, which I can't stress enough. You do not focus your way into concentration. You, you relax your mind into concentration. The only way to leave this moment is to actually grab onto something passing by. So always do less. The whole thing is doing less. It's all a subtraction problem, right? The less that we do, the more we're, we're, we are, we're here, right? <clears throat> so it's funny, as I said that, and then um, the next thing I have here is him stating that exact thing, like when remaining without doing anything whatsoever, <laughs> there is total letting go. In the same moment, there's also a sense of being wide awake. There's an awake quality that is unproduced, simultaneous with a disappearance of thought. There is an awake quality that is like the radiant flame of a candle which exists all by itself. The awake quality doesn't need to be supported through meditation because it is not something that is cultivated. Since its recognition only lasts for a short while, it is necessary to remind yourself again. But honestly, how far away is it to get to that moment? When you put your finger out there in the air to touch space, how far do you need to move your hand forward before you connect with space? In the same way, the very moment you recognize mind essence, it is seen the very moment you look. This is huge. You know, we're, we're just trying to overdo it and overthink it and everything. He's like, how far do you need to put your hand if you want to touch space? You know, it's, it's simultaneous, like we're touching space, right? The very moment we notice we're awake, there's literally nothing else to do. We're, we're as awake as we can get. We cannot add anything to wakefulness. Notice, we can't add anything to awareness. You can't take anything away from awareness. Awareness is perfect. The very moment you recognize it, it's perfect. What we do after that, <laughs> you know, kind of um, muddies it up, you know? And so any technique that we put on top of that or trying to hold on to that dilutes that, right? So there's, there's only waking up to it. Like Anthony just, you know, mentioned choiceless awareness. 
it's choiceless it's objectless it's just there's nothing even to put it towards it's just i'm awake in that wakefulness we have the ability to know so we know things and we don't do anything with that knowing there's nothing to do with that knowing the dog is barking and i know the dog is barking there's a sensation and i know that there's a sensation There's a visual something, and I know that there's a visual something. There's nothing to add to that. So you stay with just the knowing. I know that. But we don't even need to say, I know that, because we, we know that. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing else to come back to. And the important piece is to know, is there still work to be done? Like you mentioned, yeah, because... That stability part, being that the mind is not stable, it's going to leave the natural awareness because it's going to get caught, right? And so you remind yourself again, and you remind yourself again without judgment that you left. It's not about that. You've, as soon as you judge yourself, you've left again, right? So we just come back. We're awake. We're awake. We're awake. And, you know, on the, the shamatha piece, and I, I've, you know, mentioned this a, a lot of times, but my favorite one to do is a simple 3-1 meditation. You know, I do this often, you know, just for, to cultivate, continue to cultivate the concentration piece of the practice. I just do an extremely simple one, which is an open-eyed, fixed object meditation three minutes on one minute off three minutes on one minute off three minutes on one minute off that's it you know just resting your eyes on an external fixed object non-analytically for three minutes and then rest for an open awareness for a minute you know just set your alarm on your phone for three minutes and then just rest for like what you think might be a minute and reset your timer. That simple exercise, which this is in all traditions, this specific one I learned from the Tibetan tradition, but it's so helpful to continue strengthening the stability piece, you know, to add that ingredient in all the time as a maintenance to make sure that our mind is continuously being trained to stay on or stay stable in you know, like whatever object that we wanted to to become stable in and stable doesn't mean narrow awareness is very very vast we can become stable in infiniteness so concentration doesn't mean narrow it just means stable that it's not leaving so we want to maintain that ingredient in our practice, right? Just keep maintenancing that. The recognition of emptiness is accomplished the moment you look. We don't need to overthink it. Seeing no thing is a supreme sight, he says. So like the moment you see something, there's actually not, 
even something added onto it yet. The moment you see it, you, you've seen the emptiness because you haven't labeled anything onto it yet. When seeing emptiness, you don't need to do anything whatsoever to it. The keyword here is uncontrived, which means you don't have to alter it in any way. Just leave it as it naturally is. At that moment, you're totally out of a job. There's nothing you need to do. In other words, no act of meditating is necessary at this point. That is what I meant by don't meditate. Because at the moment, whenever you try to, you try, whatever you do to try to keep or prolong the natural state only envelops it in more activity and, compl and complexity, which is not really what you need. We have been doing that nonstop anyway for countless lifetimes. Yeah, beautiful. I, and this is a great way to, I love this little section here. This is on a chapter of mingling practice with, with daily life. It says, you do not need to divide the practice, making one practice for the meditation state and another for post-meditation. Here, the meditation state lasts up until one is distracted from awareness and then turns to post-meditation. Actually, the training is exactly the same, regardless of whether you sit, walk, eat, talk, lie down, or move around. The moment you, rec you remember to recognize, you see immediately how mind essence is. You see emptiness. Right then, that itself is the view. It does not make any difference if you recognize while you are standing or sitting, while you are eating, talking, or moving about. Being undistracted is the session. Being distracted is the break. You know, so like in Dzogchen teaching, there's no emphasis so much on the formal and informal practice. The formal practice is used more for stability of mind, but really the key is short time, many times drip by drip fills the cup. You know, you know um, Ergen Rinpoche probably said that more than any Rinpoche that I've ever heard, you know, and then of course, Sokin Minger, you know, mimic that. Um, I love how he puts that. He's like, the meditation session is when you're awake. <laughs> like uh, the break in your meditation session is when you fall asleep and it doesn't matter where you are in life. Like it, awareness seen in the depths of meditation can be no deeper awareness than I'm awake right here. I, awake is awake. It's not like, oh, I got to meditate for three or four hours. And, and then that, awake, that wakefulness is going to be different than this wakefulness. Now, if we do reach that, that purity and, the, and the, the clarity, yes, in, in deeper meditations or longer meditations or something, we, 
we could get that clarity because there's a lot less, you know, going on. And then once we taste it, we notice we could taste that anytime, anywhere. Like that's the clarity, right? Our view is getting washed away. It doesn't matter if we're walking and have that view, or if we're talking and have that view, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right? It absolutely doesn't matter. Washing the dishes, you know, and, and, I, and I love, like, I've, I've just selected somewhat randomly this morning, like, things to chat about. You notice he's talking about in different, like, I'm going through chapters in the books, in the book, and you notice he's just talking about the same thing every single time, right? It's like, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just so super clear, like, we do not need to over, uh, overthink it, right? It's, it's, it's exactly... You know, we, we have, it's just removing doubt that this is it. Just continuously removing doubt. That's what's beautiful about Sangha. We could, you know, collect our own stories and what we've read and what we've heard. And, you know, someone, someone like him who really is an amazing practitioner, right? So anything from that section on just mingling, you know, Wakefulness in daily life. Or have you found certain things in your daily life that um, help to remain mindful? Any like daily activities that you have found that help you remain mindful? Yeah, Diana. I'm, a question I try and drop in is what I remember is what am I not noticing? And that helps me. I like that. What am I not noticing? Love that. What am I not noticing? Love that. So much for, we miss all the subtleties, you know, because we're connected to just something habitual, you know, most of the time. One thing that really, um, let's see, Robin says, setting an alarm to, to, to stop and pause. Love that. Yeah, use our technology for us, right? Like you could set one every hour on the hour. You know, while I'm driving, driving's a great one. You should be aware anyway, right? So it's good. <laughs> one thing that really rounded out my practice, um, I read this thing. This is like, man, many, many, many moons ago. You know, it wasn't Buddhist or anything. I forget what book it was in. But this individual said, um, whenever you cross a threshold, pay attention to the energy that you're moving from. Like, pay attention to whenever you move across a threshold of the energy where you are and what you're moving into. If you're in a, in a, from a home to outside, you know, from the kitchen to the living room, different rooms in an office, 
different buildings from the outside you go into a restaurant or something this is an amazing like intuition practice and and vedana practice like you can pick up on so many things so many subtleties um you know i remember doing this practice and i got out of my car and i was walking up to my friend's house i got out of my car and i took a few steps and i'm like whoa something's going on and and i paid attention to the where i was in the in my car and then just within a few steps uh because i would you know pay attention to this and i noticed my friend and his girlfriend were having an a disagreement a very silent one on the porch <laughs> they you know i had arrived so they were going to knock it off for now you know but i didn't need to see it i just knew like right away within a few steps something was off and so i think this kind of goes along with the transition practice you know becoming aware of transitions sitting and standing moving from the couch to the refrigerator any time there's any kind of transition it's a beautiful way to add continuity to your wakefulness to really add up those moments of being awake is transitions and thresholds whenever you cross from one room to the next you know pay attention you know this kind of gets in to all dhammas you know to pay attention to all phenomena so we're getting uh yeah really paying attention to mindful of life itself you know as we move through it yeah okay might have time for maybe one more let's see I'll say something, Casey. Yeah, sure. Um, I really like that. Uh, that was a good reminder about transition practice. Um, I don't know where it was brought to my attention. Uh, I don't think it was in Buddhist circles, but um, just how we often don't pay it, just like the transition from work to home, just taking a moment to uh i just think in general transitions are hard and i just muscle through them mm, mm -hmm. then, uh or are we just ignore the fact that they're hard <laughs> that, that, that there's something here um but just pausing and taking a breath and like realize you know taking taking inventory of what was and what is and what's about to be and <laughs> uh just uh i i love that practice and then uh so thank you for reminding me and then um very early on in your talk this is kind of circling back but uh i remember you made some statement or maybe maybe you read the rinpoche statement of how there's you know, what can't be lost, like awareness. And something in my mind, in my thoughts, just kind of objected to that a little bit, just like, what? Like, but then I know this is all intellectual, but kind of in thinking about it, it you know, it, 
if something can be lost, it implies something is possessed. And what is what is possessing? Is is the human possessing the awareness? Is the awareness possessing the human? And when I even intellectually, when I go down that path, it all kind of just evaporates. It's mm. like it, it just is arising together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway. But, yeah. Love that. Like yeah. who, who was aware, mm-hmm. you know, I am, I am aware. Where's the I that's aware. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Love that. And I'll just kind of circle back. Like when we, when we speak of like a lot of emptiness things, like um, we're, it's freedom, you know, it's freedom, it's safety, you know, it's, it's, it's love, it's compassion. You know, these things are soothing, you know, because we could feel like there's kind of groundlessness, you know, like it just all dissolves. You know what dissolves is suffering dissolves because our attachment dissolves, you know, our, our, our craving dissolves and we're not filled up with, it's not empty we're filled up with a sense of well-being and, and goodness. So intellectually, we're talking about a lot of dissolving type of energy here. Experientially, it's not like that at all. What's dissolving is delusion, and we're filled up with, you know, it's an intangible, but it's an intangible, like love's intangible, but it's actually a fullness. So we, we could say either one, really, but we're not filled up with delusion anymore. The removal of delusion allows actual, uh, actual real contentment to have a place to reside and to be known, right? So it's really important when we speak of these things that we, we understand it's not, to, it's not an experience of, of what we conceptually consider empty, but we're being filled up with something so much more and so much goodness, right? We're recognizing that, that that's already here, you know. All right, let's maybe just close our eyes one last time together. And just reflecting on our interdependence. And this real fact that we cannot have an embodied experience of liberation and freedom and contentment that resides just within ourselves. That we need others to also share in this as well. So we're not free until all beings are free. And just through our intention, wishing all beings happiness, wishing that all beings everywhere with that exception can be connected to their own Buddha nature. May they all be happy, truly, truly happy and free from suffering.
All right. Thank you all so very much. That was super fun. Um, really appreciate it. Appreciate you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.